Thanks, Megan, and good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this morning in the sanctuary here and across the street in the chapel and uh, also upstairs and also in the scone room. (laughs) And also online, we're honored that you would invest part of your Easter Sunday with us. We're speaking this morning about wonder and recultivating in our lives a sense of wonder. And so if you are here this morning and there's any sense in your life of discouragement or monotony or boredom or disappointment, I really, my prayer is that God would speak to you this morning and would speak to us collectively that we might be people of wonder. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach your scriptures, we invite you to be our teacher this morning and pray that you would cultivate in us, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, a sense of awe and wonder in order that we might be people who worship. So toward that end, Father, we give you this time and we thank you for it in advance, the things that you'll do to shape our hearts. Pray this in Christ's name, amen. One author, Thomas Carlyle, said this, wonder is the basis of all worship. If you don't have any sense of wonder, you can't really worship. And the challenge that we face, according to Jesus, is that over time, our sense of wonder can kind of calcify. In other words, Jesus calls it hardness of heart in one place. In another, he says, be certain that you don't become people who have eyes but don't see, ears that don't hear. One of the best illustrations of our need for wonder is articulated by my friend Juliet, who's just written a book entitled Beginning Drawing. She's a world-class artist who attends here uh, at Bethany. And in the, in the very opening of her book, this is what she says, I'm quoting her now. When I was a student, learning to draw was also referred to as learning to see because the pencil is considered an extension of the mind which gets sharpened and challenged. Artists join the ranks of people who, past the age of childhood, still consider the world a strange place worthy of examination. People who stand amazed at the improbability of the everyday are known as artists, poets, and writers. But perhaps they're just like the rest of us, the only difference being that they've chosen to make a career of their wonder. And I just want to kind of hone in on that phrase this morning. What would it look like to have a career, to make a career of wonder? What would it look like to be people who are utterly committed to seeing each day with fresh eyes so that we're amazed and receiving all that God has for you? I love the phrase, make a career of wonder, because when you see the world that way, every day is Christmas, and and and. The world is filled with gifts. Every blossom, every cup of coffee, every snowfall, every raindrop, every eye contact, every human made in the image of God, everything becomes an opportunity for wonder. And frankly, uh, we've, we've often lost that, right? So when you have this wonder, you have the basis of worship, and worship is the base of relationship with Christ. And when you have a relationship with Christ, you find your calling and you're out blessing the world and your faith is sustained and you have meaning. And yet the testimony of church history is that the church has been kind of on the forefront often of losing a sense of wonder. And if we lose our sense of wonder, we're no longer worshipers. And if I'm not worshiping but still involved in this thing called church, all I have to do is become kind of a doctrinal police or a moral police, and we end up shooting each other and arguing about things, and this is not the life to which we're invited in Christ. We end up kind of totally missing the point when that happens. We're more concerned with defending than living a life of wonder, and this is deadly because it really, miss, it really misses the point. Uh, we're tempted to think that we lose our sense of wonder because there isn't much that's wonderful, but that's not the case. We lose our sense of wonder because we have stopped paying attention. So I want to share with you this morning uh, three actions that we see in this narrative regarding Christ's resurrection, three actions that can lead to a life of wonder. And they're very simple. Love leads to engagement. Listening leads to enlightenment. 
And looking leads to seeing. I mean, three things. Love leads to engagement. Listening leads to enlightenment. Looking leads to seeing. Let's begin here. Love leads to engagement. If you look at the text, and you don't have to because it's, it, I have it here, but if, if, you, if you were to read it, verse 1, on the first day of the week, early at dawn, they, these three women, Mary, Mary, Joanna, they went to the tomb taking the spices they prepared. Now, that's kind of a, could be a throwaway verse. Hear me, not at all. Uh, they, Jesus was crucified, and then they prepared spices for his body, which was like a burial anointing thing. But then Saturday was the Sabbath, and so according to Jewish law, they didn't go to the tomb on Saturday. And the first day of the week, which was not for them a day of worship, think Monday. It's like back to work? No, not for these women. It said, what do they do? They go to the tomb. So at the outset, I want you to make an observation with me. These women cared enough about Jesus to care for his body. And that shows me that affection or love leads to engagement. Because here's the deal. For these women, Jesus has moved from being a person of fame to someone who was executed in a manner of a political insurrectionist. So their hopes have evaporated. They're disappointed. They're let down. They're discouraged. I thought it would be this way. It's that way. And still they show up because that's what love does. And there are some of you in the room, I think, in fact, I'm certain of it, some of us in the room have been disappointed by Jesus or disappointed by the church or disappointed in our pursuit of faith. We tried, we failed. We tried, we were hurt in some way. We did it over and over and over again. Frankly, it got a little boring. We, we stepped out. We disengaged. If you've been part of God's story and now you're here because Easter's a religious, uh, religious ritual, I want to encourage you with every fiber of my being even though these women felt left down, let, let down, even though they're discouraged, even though they're lamenting, they still show up because love shows up. And this is, this is vital for all of us. Here's why. We live in a time when everything's commodified. Food, sex, and frankly, religion has been commodified as well. And, and, and when that happens, uh, Jesus is reduced to us to a guy who's going to give us a quote-unquote blessing in exchange for something. Does that make sense? And now you can see all these little Jesus bobbleheads with Jesus got kind of two thumbs up. Have you seen these? But I find them super annoying, right? Because the subtext is, you know, here's Jesus dressed up like a baseball player. Here's Jesus like a skier. Here's Jesus like a golfer. Here's Jesus like a nurse. Here's Jesus like a doctor, right? Whatever. And the subtext is this. Hey, in exchange for your obedience and your tithe and your Bible study, your life's going to be what? Awesome! Really? Ask Bonhoeffer. <laughs> dead at 38. Ask Sophie Scholl. Dead at 31. Ask 200 dead this morning gathering for worship in Sri Lanka. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, what is, like, why are you here? Let me tell you, you're not making a deal with Jesus. No, no, what Jesus is calling us to is not a transactional relationship. Jesus begins the relationship by ravishing us with love in many different forms. And when you look at the New Testament, you see Jesus ravishing people with love. Jesus uh, takes this leper that nobody would touch and he heals him with touch. He has a conversation with a non-Jewish woman with five failed marriages who's presently living with a man and he turns her into a worshiper. He, he saves the life of a woman by intervening at her, at her 
moment of execution, and she becomes a devoted follower because he didn't just save her, he ennobled her. He gave her dignity. He meets a man consigned to living in a graveyard and casts out a bunch of demons so that now he's seated and at the table eating in his right mind and no one knows what happened to him. Why does Jesus do this? Here's why. Jesus is shouting to all of us, I love you. And he's trying to initiate for us a love relationship that we would reciprocate back to him. Those who have loved him in the past are in this moment, in this text, discouraged by Jesus. But in their discouragement, they still show up. Why? Hear me. That's what love does. Love shows up. Uh, if you're married in the room, you know that there, there are moments in your marriage when, um, like, as an act of will, you show up. Right? One Monday night... My wife was with me, and it's rare that my wife is with me on a Monday night, not because we're unhappy, but because we live in two places, right? Like, we live up in the mountains, and then I have a little bungalow down here in the city, and so I'm down here Sunday night and Monday night, and on those nights, usually I'm down here alone. Well, Donna had come down on a Monday night, and uh, at the end of Monday, I'm very tired, and normally I just want to check out. I would just want to, you know watch reruns and eat Doritos or something like that and just like, you know, it's vegetable night, Monday night. Well, she shows up and I don't, I can't remember what happened, but we started getting into a little conversation and then it escalated, right? And she said something that was, that bugged me, like it really offended me. And I said something back that was even better, like, and by better I mean more hurtful, right? And then she shot back, and pretty soon we got our cannons out, you know. And, like, has anyone done this who's married in the room? Does this ever happen? If I'm not the only one, good. Uh, but I got angry, and I said, actually, I'm leaving. And I, and I left, and she goes, where are you going? Church, like it's the closest building, right? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to pray or anything like that. I just go over here, sit down at the piano. But then I see, you know, I'm sitting at the piano, I'm playing a little bit, and I'm thinking back, oh, wait a minute, that's right, we've been married 39 years. Oh, yeah, and actually, I love this person, and actually, this is ridiculous, and actually, now, three months later, I don't remember what we were arguing about, and actually, the best thing I could do right now would be to close the piano and go home. So I go in. It's never easy, is it? It's never easy. It's like, I'm sorry. And there's apology, and then there's this kind of connection, there's intimacy. It's all beautiful on the far side, but why does this happen? You've got to keep showing up. And so if you've kind of checked out with God, I'm just going to encourage you to keep showing up. Uh, why? Because love shows up. And you know, if you're coming here to get a hit every, every Sunday, I promise you this, I won't give you a hit every Sunday. Neither will Eric. That's not why, we, that's not why we're here. We're not here for a hit. We're here because this is what the people of God do. We show up uh, to love. Love comes back. And what's interesting is these three women are there. Who are the rest of the disciples? They're not there. Why? Well, shame, fear. Maybe some are like me. As soon as something is hard or disappointing in my life, I have a tendency to leave. As soon as it's hard, I want to I leave. That's a, been a challenge for me, particularly relationships. Oh, you don't like me? Well, ha, I didn't like you first. So there, I'm done. And then it's like, oh, New Horizons. I've said it in my mind. Come on, there's nine billion people around. I'll find someone who loves me. So it's no problem to just move on, except love doesn't move on. Love engages. That's the first observation. And if you keep showing up in relationship, good things happen. Now, when you show up, what do you do? Well, listening leads to enlightenment. Second thing I'm going to show you. 
So in this text, women show up and uh, instead of finding the body of Jesus, they find the stone rolled away from the tomb and they went in and they didn't find the body and they were, were told in my New English version, they were perplexed. Now that's one word for wonder. And this word perplexed captures the mindset of these women well. It's not despair. It's not like, oh no, someone stole the body. That's, it's not that. No, no. They don't know anything. In other words, they know what they don't know. It's what Buddhists call a beginner's mind. I see a situation and watch, isn't this stunning? I don't have the answer. So I'm going to need to pay attention and listen. And then these two guys explain everything. But to be blunt, uh, we've lost this capacity largely in our culture. Why? Well, there are many reasons, but if you try and cram 30 hours of activity into a 24-hour day, then you go through life and you, don't really, you actually don't have time to pay attention. And if you're not paying attention, then you're not really seeing things. You're, you're every, yes, there's data there, but you're very quick to objectify the data. Oh, this is a guitar. Those are drums. Those are flowers. But if you, like, a beginner's mind would be like this. What kind of guitar? What's the, what's the leather thing for? What do the strings do? How many strings are there? Beginner minds. A beginner mind says, look at the different shades. Look at, and then it, it even spiritualizes, look at the incredible reminder that every spring, life wins. This is a foretaste of all of history. But not to you, it's just flowers. Maybe you didn't even notice them, I don't know. Why? Because we don't pay attention. And this word listen here captures not only literally listening, but also, also seeing. We, we need a beginner's mind. I was a music major. Um, I love listening to music. My wife, uh, she loves listening to the radio. Not, not a music major. She was a PE major. And we went to the symphony about nine days ago on Friday night. Dvorak New World Symphony. I'd played it before. I love that piece of music. And I so desperately wanted my wife to hear that piece of music. By the way, Seattle uh, Symphony is a new conductor. Was there that Friday night. Will be there in the fall. Don't miss, don't miss it. This guy's remarkable. Anyway, that's just a little commercial for the symphony. <laughs> but but um, so on this particular Friday night, before we heard the symphony, the conductor gave kind of uh, like a trailer, like a like Cliff Notes version, where he explained the history of this piece, where where Dvorak was, where the tunes came from, and they played little bits of the tunes. The orchestra played. This is what you hear in the first movement. Here's the second. Here's the third. Here's the fourth. He played the whole thing, and it was. I got to tell you, it was as fun for me to listen to the music as it was to watch my wife listen to the music. Why? Beginner mind, right? She was totally paying attention because she paid attention when someone was explaining it. And then because of that engagement, she was really listening, and because she was really listening, it leads to a sense of what? Wonder. And then when you hear the theme, first in the brass, then in the cellos, then in the winds, then in the violins, and then in the violins, repeated only softer and slower and softer and slower and softer. And then the conductor, he does this. And slower. <laughs> it's worship. It's, it's incredible. We need to learn to listen. And to do that requires like a beginner's mind. 
And the best way that you can learn that is to have the mind of a child. I want to show you a picture of my granddaughter. Yes, exactly. Oh, she's so cute. This was in November up at our house in the mountains, and it was snowing, and it was family picture day, and I was out shooting some pictures, and it was just amazing to me to see someone uh, who was in awe of what I'd grown to ignore. Does that make sense? Just in awe. Oh, and she's looking at me, the snow is falling, and, and she's seeing not snow objectifying, but every flake, right? And where is it falling? And how are the flakes connecting? And there's this sense of wonder that comes from a child's mind. And oh, by the way, what did Jesus say? Oh, that's right. I need to have what? Faith like a child. We don't do that anymore. We, like we put, very quickly, we want to put something in a category because we've got so much to do, we want to move on. Oh, grave, empty, failure. Oh, like I hear you. Oh, liberal, I'm moving on. I'm conservative, I'm moving on. Oh, uh, car, in the way. Line at the grocery store, long. No. You begin to pay attention, here's how. First of all, when you're having a conversation, turn your phone off and make eye contact. Start there. When you're reading your Bible, read your Bible. Think about what God is saying to you. When you're walking through the forest, see, the, see each tree. Look at the moss that's a sign that the air is clean. Look at the soil. Consider how the trees are interconnected. Look at the roots. You'll worship. <laughs> when you're stuck in line at the grocery store, pray for people in line. And the checker, by the way, who's not having a good day. When you're stuck in traffic, do the same thing. When you hear a sermon, don't just hear a sermon. Hear it. Like absorb. Talk about it. Respond. Serve. We have these little rule of life cards that help you develop habits to pay attention. They're available in the back. My encouragement to you is if you really want to be a person who worships, you have to pay attention. Jesus said that seeds sometimes fall on hard roads and the, and the, and the seeds, which are the good news of God's revelation, are eaten by the birds. I think the 21st century hard road is our lack of attention. We just speed through life. No. Uh, they were what? Perplexed. Perplexed enough to stop and listen. And third, it's principle of looking, because looking leads to seeing. So they go back and they tell the disciples what they've, what they've heard, and it's, this is kind of interesting to me. Here's these three women, uh, and here's these 11 disciples, and the 11 disciples, we know this, they were with Jesus the whole, the whole way they were with him. They heard all the teaching. They saw all the miracles. They saw Lazarus rise from the dead. They saw the 5,000 fed. They themselves cast demons out of people. If anyone's all in... They're all in. They're the religious professionals. These women come. They say, hey, we went to the tomb. It was empty. And these two guys who we didn't recognize because they were too shiny, they spoke to us. And they said, the reason the tomb's empty is Jesus risen from the dead. He's alive. And instead of the disciples saying what they should have said, oh, he's risen indeed? They didn't say that. <laughs> they said, they, what did they say? They said, you're mad. Let me tell you. That haunts me. Yeah, you, you who think you know it so well have, have created a shell around your religion so that the resurrected Jesus can't even get in. Yeah, don't miss it. We're called to look. What's, where's Jesus? What's Jesus saying? 
And why should we look? Because we believe, at some fundamental level, we believe this, Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is the Christ, this is what we believe. We believe that it's the Christ who makes coffee beans. So every good cup of coffee is an act of gratitude and worship. It's the Christ who makes blossoms. So every time, even a, even a dandelion, man, is a gift from God. It's not just a weed. Look what God has made. Look at a new season. Look at the lengthening days. Look at your friends. Look at your spouse. Look at your children. It's all a miracle because he lives. Amen? Amen. So we got to see. How do we see? We got to look. We got to understand. How do we understand? We got to listen. We got to love. How do we love? We keep showing up. Look, listen, love. Just to respond as we close together this morning, I just want you to ponder a little bit today and maybe talk back over your Easter uh, meal. You know, of the three, what's the one that resonated with you and why? You need to love Jesus. You need to re-engage. Good. Welcome. You need to listen. You need to learn to pay attention. You need to turn your phone off and, not, and multitask. Good. You, you, you need to look around and see that everything is a revelation of Christ. Good. But one of these, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. People have been disappointed by God. We all have. Death of a child. Cancer. Broken relationship. But love and listening and looking create a sense in the midst of a fallen world, a sense of wonder. And I'm telling you, our world desperately needs to see that sense of wonder in you, in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have the opportunity to be people of awe and wonder and gratitude, that we can be like little children, amazed at soil, amazed at good coffee, celebrating a moment of contact with another human being. Thank you. Forgive us that our eyes get glazed over with anxiety, preoccupation, discouragement. And we just kind of drift away. Would this Easter, Jesus, you reignite our hearts in order that we might wake up and worship. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship together.